I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder, a true crime podcast with an element of baking. And what's the what's going on this week? <laughs> yeah, okay. So um, the murders are, or murder, whatever it is, is based in South, er, yeah, South Korea? Yes. Okay, in South Korea. My sister actually uh, was a teacher out in South Korea for a while. And so she has, she knows a lot of Korean cuisines and all that. I don't think she really, the only one that we really make um, is a Korean barbecue. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's actually really neat. So uh, you go and you get these, uh, they look like pieces of bacon, but it's pork belly. And then you, you cook it in front of you on a grill. So um, we used, we purchased one, but I mean, I think that you could just like use a skillet and, um, but the whole point of a Korean, with a Korean barbecue, you kind of crowd around it on this grill in the middle of the table and you cook the pork belly. And then there's other things. Um, kimchi. You can oh yeah. Kimchi. Yeah. It's, I think it's like fermented cabbage. Oh my um, God. Yeah. Kimchi is a part of this case today. So no way. this is crazy. Okay. Yeah. And there's just, um, my sister puts, I can't even remember what kind of sauce it is, but there's different Korean sauces that you can put on. And, uh, then you take a big piece of lettuce and you put the pork belly on it and then you put the kimchi in and whatever else you want to add on. And then you just fold it up and eat it. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's really cool just because you're cooking all your own food in front of you. Yeah. And it's like a fun little experience with your friends. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's not much that you can do at home if you don't have like a skillet or something like um, we got this. We got a special little grill that we put in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what it's called. Um, yeah, I don't know. But we get <laughs> uh, that we put in front of us in the middle of the table. And we all kind of cook off of it. So it's a lot of fun. Cool. Well, anyway. Sounds it, good. Yeah. Korean barbecue. <laughs> nice. All right. All right. So let's get started. Okay. So I was telling Casey, this is a very, very long one because there's just, there's so much and it's seriously like so wild. So it is going to be two parts and this part will probably make a little shorter. And then finish up next week. So stay tuned. But anyway. Yeah. So this happened in 2003. So a little while ago in South Korea, specifically in the city of uh, Seoul. And so Seoul, I'm pretty sure is, I mean, that's kind of like the biggest city, the main city. Everyone kind of knows of Seoul, Korea. Yeah. Okay, so um, this happens in a couple different um, neighborhoods in the city. Um, so I'm do- going to do my best to pronounce them and the names correctly. I did try and look it up, but, you know, I'm American. Sorry. Um, so criminal profile Kwon Il-young got a call on October 9th, 2003 to come look at a crime scene. Um, and a couple other people who are going to be like 
chief investigators, her, uh, Kim Hee-suk. She is a forensic officer and Kang In-chol, who was the chief of police at the time. So they're going to be our lead investigators on this. And this first murder happened in Gujidong. I'm so sorry. But it one of the wealthiest areas of Seoul at the time. And um, the victim's husband had called it in. When he came home from work, he entered the home and saw his mother, his wife, and his son dead. So the whole family had been murdered. Um, the mother was on the floor in the bathroom. And the wife was in the kitchen and her skull was dented so badly that they couldn't even tell like what the murder weapon could have been. Oh my gosh. That's such force. Yeah. It was very, very gruesome. She was um, struck in the mouth, nose, above the eye, the back of her head, her right shoulder and her elbow. Um, But it was mostly the head that was like really bad. Yeah. Um, And then they moved upstairs and the entire staircase was just covered in blood. Like it, it was really bad. And that's where the, this man's son was at the top of the stairs and his head had been struck so many times that his brain was like scattered everywhere. (gasps) Yeah. Like how old was his son? Um, I do not know. They didn't say Mm, okay. I, I watched a documentary that's on Netflix if you guys are interested, okay. but I, I don't think they said um, the names of most mm-hmm. of the victims, so I don't know. Oh, unfortunately. Um, yeah, it was like, it was very, very bad scene, like just very gruesome. Um, so the forensic officer, Kim Hee-suk, she found two bloody partial footprints on a white towel and they checked to make sure if it matched any of the family's shoes it did not so therefore they assumed that footprint mm-hmm. belonged to the killer um which is obviously a nice piece of evidence because they could you know yeah. have something at least i mean that was huge in the night stalker case yes yeah so none of the victims appeared to have fought back And it happened during the day. So the husband was investigated. Um, He was not, he was, he didn't do it. But obviously they're going to look into the husband because they assumed no one had fought back. It was during the day. It has to be someone they know um, is what everyone thought. So, but this man i feel so bad for him he was clearly very clearly just like extremely distraught as one would be um he kept saying he was sorry to his wife mother and son that he couldn't protect them and he they had an aquarium in the kitchen with fish in it and he kept like asking questions to the fish like didn't you see who it was why did they do it kind of like he was like he was so in grief he was like kind of going crazy a little bit maybe he was trying to like trying to make a joke but at the same time was like way too serious because like I don't know I I picture that scene and I see him sitting on the counter and being like come on 
didn't you see it happen kind of making a joke and then be like seriously like right like didn't you see it and like just like getting kind of emotional because he's just kind of like realizing yeah I I feel like that's like a that's kind of a shock response exactly like the investigators were like clearly he is in like shock and Mm -hmm. because he's a perfectly sane person but um they realized very quickly it couldn't have been him um and then there were some people at the crime scene that the chief noticed and realized they were uh these people who he didn't recognize were gangnam detectives so and they were there because a similar murder had happened in Singsadong, which is another neighborhood in Seoul or area. And they had come to check it out. So at the time, uh, the Gangnam area was the number one economic district in South Korea. So two very wealthy areas, wealthy, Mm -hmm. wealthy families, well to do. So they're starting to think this is, but neither of them were robbed. So they're starting to think possibly this is like economically motivated, like jealousy, something like yeah. that. Like they, I mean, and there's so much anger behind behind it too. Yeah. So what happened in Sing Sedong was two weeks earlier, September 24th, 2003. Uh, an elderly couple was killed, um, a retired university professor. He was very wealthy. Uh, They were attacked with a sharp-edged blunt weapon, and their skulls were also caved in. So, again, with the very, very gruesome part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a lot of money in a drawer in their dresser, so it wasn't, like, locked up or anything. And they had a lot of valuable objects, but nothing was stolen. So, again, this led the police to think, this is someone... Who knew them, clearly. Um, Against them, yeah. Yeah. But they're very similar. So they're thinking, how are these families connected? Do they know people? Do they know the same people? Um, Could it be some kind of service that comes in? Some kind of, I don't know. That's where my mind goes next. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Word would not be spread about the case unless an arrest was made in order for police to get a better evaluation, because that's just apparently how it works over there. So in that area, if there was a crime, but it was not solved, it wouldn't go public because it would make the officers look bad. So even though these crimes were happening, it was kept very hush-hush because there were no arrests yet for either of them. I mean, I I kind of get it, but that's so scary if there's like multiple things going on. I would want to know what's going on in my area and I'd want to know if they found anyone or if they're thinking that it could possibly be um like if they have any suspects because I want to know if I'm in danger. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I I also know that other countries do things a lot different, especially different than America. I know that America's mm-hmm. A little bit of um, someone I mentioned earlier, Kwon Il-young. He was the first to introduce to Korean police what criminal profiling was. 
and he is the only person in Korea qualified to be a criminal profiling expert. No way. Oh, so, yeah. I think that's like, it's so, I mean, criminal profiling isn't like super old here, but this is like early 2000s. So, right. Uh, it was pretty late there, I would say. It would be. Okay. Like, I think he, he started his career before this crime, but still it was, he was like the only one. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So he starts thinking about this case and a little bit of what happened in Korea previously. So Korea fell into a time of economic distress and was in like a lot of debt. And then when the country finally came out of debt, the people who survived economically continued to get richer and those who didn't fell into more debt which is typically how things go Mm. unfortunately and so there were lots of people becoming homeless and unemployed and he says that that kind of deprivation leads to alienation and that if you feel like you're not being a member of society, this leads to not being able to feel guilt when they attack out of frustration that they feel about the situation. So, okay. That's like they're little, the bad guy. They, yeah. They th- feel like they did a service almost. Exactly. So that's like, as a criminal profiler, that's the kind of psychology they're thinking this killer is possibly having at the moment. Uh-huh. Um. So kidnapping of women and children in the area was also very frequent at the time. And there were high ransoms asking to be paid. So it was not kidnapping typically for like murder or anything, but it was for for money because of the economic situation. No way. So Yeah. I didn't realize all this was going on in Korea. I know. I really like this really makes you when you look into things like this and whatever, really gives you I don't know perspective to learn about other what's going on in other places well I mean even still like with my sister being over there like it's really small yeah yeah. it's it's pretty small I'm pretty sure it's like okay I want to look this up so I can say for sure um okay so the combined territories of North Korea and South Korea and about the are about the same size as the U.S. state of Minnesota wow so or um or the state just south korea is like the size of the state of indiana wow i did not realize that yeah so i'm my whole point was like it's so small it's like how do you how do you hide yeah i don't know i feel like it'd be harder to hide and get away with things just because everyone's kind of on top of each other wow yeah and that could be why also another like statistic I saw was that Korea is very good at solving crimes about they have a um what was the number 96 percent of cases like murder cases violent crimes get solved and the number is way lower here in America and I'm thinking perhaps it's because they don't have as much land to govern they don't have right as much space as we do for people to hide out and so that's an impressive number, really. Yeah, yeah, that is super impressive. But also, <laughs> how much of it do you think is just 
like I know that they might have open investigations on um on murders but are not bringing it public so how many of those do you think just like never went public or um like the 96 percent do you think that's that's included in ones the ones that they kind of kept hush hush maybe I'm not sure I know that's that's a recent number and they have since since this case stopped like not releasing it like they do now yeah okay okay and it was actually because of this case that they changed that. So oh, good. we'll see later. But um, obviously, so they, they don't have a murder weapon. There was nothing left at either of these scenes. So they try to find one. And out of the many tools, they think it could possibly be like hammers, an axe, a wrench, maybe. The, uh, they didn't find anything that matched specifically. So it's apparently looking like a very unique and interesting murder weapon. They're not sure what it is. And then on October 16th, 2003, in Sam um, a the killer dragged an old woman into a bathroom and killed her. And once again, there, it was very, very similar. She was hit in the head multiple times, and there was a lot of blood. And once again, a faint shoe print was found on the outdoor AC unit. So the shoe print was exactly the same print as the Gujidong um, case. Mm-hmm. So that is helpful that they can now link that these are definitely the same person because of the footprint. Right. The only other way they could have really linked it was just the aggression alone, I guess, and like same manner, I guess. Yeah. It's helpful to have that shoe print because now you can be certain. Mm-hmm. So at that point, they do begin calling it a serial murder case. The investigators are. But the sole police agency tells all of the investigators, like, stop calling it a serial murder. Don't say serial killer. That's nonsense. You're going to panic the citizens for nothing. So they were basically told to, like, shut it down. Don't look at it as a serial murder. At what point does something become a serial murder? Two or more that are similar. Is that it? I think so. I think it doesn't take a big number, like two or three. Serial murder, also known as serial killer, is the unlawful homicide of at least two people. Okay. At least two people carried out by the same person in separate events occurring at different times. Yeah. Okay, so it's not like one of those things where it's all happening in the same night. It has to be at different times. Yeah, because then that's just separate like separate situations. Right. Consider something else, yeah. Yeah, there's three or mass. mass. Yeah, it just, it all kind of, okay, so that's technically serial killing at that point. Okay, yeah. I see. So that's obviously not good. And the investigators were pretty angry that the police agency was telling them not to say that, or basically not even to investigate it as a serial murder, but they were very sure. And of course, when you can't look into things properly, more people are going to die. And it's just not good. So on November 18th, sure enough, there were another set of murders. Um, Unfortunately, uh, it was 87-year-old Kim and 50-year-old 
Baek, um, who was the housekeeper for him. Oh. Uh, they were both killed. And also, someone set fire to the house. So it was arson as well. See, and that's new, though. Yeah. Switching up a little bit. Yeah. It's definitely different. And there was a one-year-old boy in the house as well. And he lived... And he was found alone in the living room. So nothing had happened to him. But okay. also he was rescued from the fire before anything yeah. happened to him. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like he set a fire. So like he knew that he was still, it's not like he saved the little boy because he knew he was, if the fire had burned the place down, mm-hmm. it's just that he hadn't. Uh, Possibly he didn't know the boy was there. Okay. But that, I don't, I don't know that for sure. That wasn't said. Right, right. But I mean, he's someone with no sympathy. I'm sure he he probably would have. Right. Left them, killed them, you know. Yeah. But fortunately, he lived. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, the 87-year-old man was found lying in bed with stab wounds all over his body, blunt force trauma to the head, and he was partially burnt from the fire. Wow. And it's so gruesome. Yeah. And they weren't sure at first if this was the same person because this one, it had the like trauma to the head, but also there were stab wounds and a fire. So they were like, is this different? Like why, what happened here? Um, But they found a matching shoe print once again. And it was at that point after this murder happened that the police agency finally said, yeah, this is a serial murderer. And that was a fact that was forced to be accepted after that. But if it wasn't for if it wasn't for the shoe print, they might not have said that. Sorry. (laughs) What do you say? (laughs) I was just saying this. I already made this comparison, but this sounds so much like the Night Stalker. Oh yeah. Mm Hmm. Especially because of the shoe and everything. The shoe print and then just like the fact that he's kind of going I mean it's not like he's it seems like he's going after one class mm-hmm. a certain class of people but then it's frustrating that he will kill, would kill the maid if he had an issue with with that class yeah I think that he would save the maid but maybe he was thinking that like she was just kind of um an unforeseen casualty uh yeah like a sacrifice that needed to, so that yeah. he could continue collateral damage. Collat, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, collateral damage. Yeah, I don't. That, but otherwise, I feel like this is very similar to him. Yeah. So now that they are accepting that this is a serial killer, a big task force made up of investigators from each jurisdiction, because there are three different ones, because the cases are in three different jurisdictions. They were formed. And it is good that they're all working together. Yeah, unlike Um, America. Yeah, from all these places. (laughs) So the shoe was, they finally were able to idea it's a buffalo shoe. Um, So they were looking for where it could have been bought, you know, looking out for people who wear them in suspicious places, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Random searches of bags and cars were starting on the public. And it was a belief that the killer was targeting places with the same consonant in its name. So because the first place was Gujidong, 
So that's two G's. And then the next one was Singsadong, which is two S's, Samsadong, which is two S's again. And this one I really struggle with. Huihuadong, and that's two H's. So they're thinking he's going to continue down that pattern, which would mean that the neighborhood of Siso was next because that's two S's again. That is so specific. Yeah. It's very interesting. I almost feel like that's a long shot, but that'd be interesting if he actually, if they actually do track it like that. Yeah. Um, so there was a camera on the side of the road in the crime with um, the fire. And a man was recorded from the back. So you can't see his face, but walking down that street and they showed the footage to the victim's family and asked, does this man look familiar? Do you know him? And they said, well, we don't know that man, but he's wearing Kim's jacket. So that person in the footage was identified as the killer because he had taken um, the coat off mm-hmm. of the man he just killed, or not off of him probably, but from the house and was wearing it now. So what made him decide to take it? Yeah, I, I, that would literally put, I mean, he doesn't know there's a camera on the street, but that would literally put you within suspicion if anyone recognized it or anything. Yeah, and he has has not been stealing anything else. He just decided to take a jacket. Like, right. What, he saw it on the back of the chair. I mean, it's super weird. He, it was chilly that night and he forgot yeah. one. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Um, maybe he had blood on his shirt and he needed to cover it up. Oh, maybe that I could believe that. I would believe it. Yeah, I feel like that's more believable. Yeah. Uh, but there was a huge debate whether or not to inform the public about this footage. Because on the one hand, it could severely detriment the investigation. But it was also the biggest evidence that they had and felt that it could help the public. So it was a tough decision. But they decided to release it because there was nothing else they could do. It was kind of all they had. Mm-hmm. So they had to. Um, so the man was estimated to be in his 20s and about 168 centimeters tall, which I can't do math in my head. I don't know what that is in feet. But <laughs> but after this, um, the killer stopped. Stopped killing for some time, which is kind of what they hoped and feared at the same time. Like, obviously this scared him off a little bit. So they had nothing else to go on, mm-hmm. but also you don't want more people to die. So, you know, I know that is such a struggle. Cause the only way, unless they like bring something new up from the investigation, that's the only way they can really catch him is like for him to do it again and leave more clues. Exactly. Um, But then, a little while later, a woman was attacked in her home with a blunt object, and her husband came home and found her covered in blood, but she was conscious. She was briefly conscious. She quickly passed out, though. But he drove her to the hospital, and he got her there in time, and she lived, 
but she now has a brain lesion and a very severe disability. Wow. Um, so, and they weren't, it was an attack on a young woman and they weren't able to connect that to him until later. But when he came back to killing after this like stop, his MO completely changed. So it's like he was reevaluating what to do and what he wanted and whatnot because he started targeting young women as they walked home alone at night, which is just nothing like the earlier cases. What the heck? Yeah. And you don't see that very often, like a complete change. Well, yeah, like you don't see a complete change into something else than just like hang out in a new kind like it's like he's stuck with that then after that. It's not like he's like doing a little bit of that, a little bit of this, sprinkle here, sprinkle there. Yeah. It's like, and from this point on, he does not go back to the wealthy neighborhoods or elderly couples. Does not go back to that at all. Maybe it was too unpredictable going into someone else's house. Like being outside on a, on a street and like you can't, young women are just more um, likely to, are, are less I'm trying to not say the word that I can't say I can't say the word susceptible I can't say it susceptible <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it <laughs> not even not even funny <laughs> it's a little funny I see it like a vegetable anyway yeah. They're more likely to, or less like, I forgot what I was saying. (laughs) They're weaker. They're less likely to fight back. Yeah. That's what I mean. So maybe he just thought it was easier, easier targets. Yeah. Oh. Susceptible. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So... There were four murders of young women in four very close sections of Southwest Seoul, and they were all prostitutes. So his new thing were prostitutes in the city. Once again, he's looking for people that um, are easier targets. Yeah. Um. So at that time, there was a crackdown on prostitution in brothels because there was a new chief of police appointed in Jongum, and her name was Kim Kang-ya, and she was the first female chief in the country ever. Yeah, she really wanted to get rid of prostitution because, I mean, first of all, it's illegal but many of the women who were in it in the city were abducted and like tricked into it like not Mm -hmm. there voluntarily or whatever so and she wanted to help them like her whole thing was like shutting down the brothels and like rehabilitating these women and stuff so um so she wanted to help on this case as well when she found that out and also it was in her jurisdiction so they started working with her as well um, but the MO changed once again from being out in the middle of the street to the killer would call a prostitute to come to his place, cook her a meal, talk, 
have sex, and then he would drag her into the bathroom and kill her in the bathroom in his own apartment. And he would later call the bathroom doorway the threshold between life and death, which is near disgusting. So messed up. Oh my gosh. How has he um, caught? I feel like that is. I mean, anyone could have been like, "Oh, hey, I'm going to this place, this address." Right. Um, like. Yeah. I'm so confused. I don't know, and, um, I guess like to do it in your own home. Like, I think that's very stupid, but also at the same time nobody if like doing it in someone else's house like someone's gonna come and check up on that eventually like nobody's gonna come into your house if you're not reporting things you know um it's it's more predictable and you're able to prepare a little bit more too mm -hmm. got all of the things you need there Ugh. so it okay it's bad so after he would he would um kill them with that blunt object from the earlier cases that they couldn't identify that they didn't know what it was yet Uh um and then oh god he got i don't know more into it but he would cut off the woman's head tie her hair in a ponytail and hang it from the toilet paper holder above a drain on the floor so all the blood would drain out of the head which is just oh super methodical and disgusting. Yeah. Oh my God. What? Mm-hmm. So he also lived on the third floor of the apartment building. <gasps> and you can't drag a whole body down there. So he would chop up the body in 16 pieces. After no. That. 16? Yeah. Always 16? Yeah. So what he, what he did, they found out, investigators find out later, he went to a hospital and got a full body scan and asked to keep the x-rays and he oh. kept the photos to study that and to study human anatomy of like how best to do it. How best to cut someone up. Yeah. What a weird dude. Just, I mean, can't he gosh, open like a textbook up too and see a human body? Like why does he have to like go off his own scans? Literally. I don't know. But yeah, so it got, it just gets more gruesome and disgusting. What a weirdo. Oh my God. He's a monster. Yeah. He went from being like maybe vigilante to psychopath murder. I mean, he's always been a murderer, but like, I thought maybe he thought he had some kind of reasoning behind it. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. Nothing anymore. Yeah it's that um one night he left the apartment with the bags of a woman's body and he got in a cab and the cab driver was like what is that smell and he was like oh it's kimchi and oh he would he would actually dump like a bunch of kimchi like in the bag to cover the smell of a body so no it actually yeah so can you imagine that i don't i don't know what kimchi smells like but like the mix of that like i that that actually is disgusting i mean like 
my sister loves kimchi and like obviously there are tons of people that love kimchi and it's um, a lot I mean it's basically a staple in in South Korea like Mm -hmm. um, but I don't like it at all I mean I feel like I feel like it smells bad I mean just in my mind like cabbage already kind of smells bad and then you're fermenting it on top of that like yeah oh so then so then you have that along with oh god that just is disgusting yeah um oops so he would ask the cab driver to take him out to the woods and he buried all of his bodies on this secluded plot of land and that would be discovered later but he they were all right next to each other no like like you know like ted bundy like scattered yeah it like out in the middle of nowhere they were like really they were all together in like this big burial plot and then he would mark the spot so that he knew he would mark it with like a red bottle cap so he knew where it was when he came back and like if someone was just walking in the woods you know like they would just be like oh it's a litter like it's something inconspicuous yeah Yeah. you know yeah so then the interval between his murders shortened from one month to 15 days then once a week so it's just getting worse and worse yeah and so like women are just disappearing like a lot but unfortunately these crimes were not reported because sex workers didn't really talk to their families a lot and then also like their pimps don't want their businesses found out so like no one's really saying anything but however one brothel owner he was rapidly losing his girls he would send them out and they would not come back so he kept getting calls um asking for a girl from a phone number he recognized and the call came from one of his missing girls phones so obviously uh he knew something was up and this guy was also an informant for the police so he called a detective he personally knew and decided to get them involved because he's like you know what something bad is happening i'm gonna tell somebody so wait so the guy that owns a brothel is an informant yes he works with the police. <laughs> Wait, but the guy that's actively breaking the law is now... What? That's, <laughs> that's how it works. Like, you get immunity or whatever if you're an informant. Oh. But, yeah. Because it keeps the police, like, connected. Yeah. You know? What the heck? I don't know exactly what their deal is. I don't know if it was immunity, but he was doing it and yeah. the police knew who he was and everything. And he was an ex-cop, by the way. <gasps> yeah. What a stinker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so on July 15th, 2004, police officer Yang Pilju meets with the informant and a girl and they came up with a plan so they were gonna have this girl meet with him but they would be like following them and sure enough the phone rang and they arranged a meeting and the killer told them to send the girl to this park near 
some university in the city. So they all went and she met with him, but then the officers noticed her walking back. So something had happened and they were like, what's going on? Why, why are you coming back to us and not going with him? And she said, uh, the killer didn't want her because she was too tall. Why? So clearly like that's his, like he was like he wants a certain size because it'll be she'll be easier oh not fight back and easier to like chop up if he didn't want anyone oh. to talk. yeah so he called again same night for another girl and um then he showed up at the brothel itself to like come get her instead of her meeting them there so the police immediately head over to that brothel and they attempt to arrest him but he fiercely resisted and he had the girl's phone numbers in like his hand or in his pockets or whatever and when the police got there he was trying to stuff them in his mouth to like swallow evidence that he was like he had the phone numbers of these missing women and stuff like that yeah yeah um and so it took up to four people to cuff him because oh he was like, and so everyone was like, okay, we were just gonna, at this point, everyone thought it was just maybe like kidnapping because like kidnapping the girls, they weren't sure. They weren't like going after him thinking he was a murderer, but yeah. he was fighting back so hard. They were like, something else is up. He's really hiding something. Um, so the whole team shows up to get to interrogate him together like the entire um task force that was for this killer mm-hmm. and um he was like lightly and at this point they find out his name is Yu young joel and he's in his early 20s early 20s uh, yeah like he's young oh my god really young yeah um and the team like lightly provoked him and he like instantly blew up and got like super angry and he said all of you are going to be promoted if I killed somebody and one of the detectives said there's no way you killed someone I can tell you don't have the stomach for it and oh just egging him on mm -hmm. and he said um I lost my spot those four murders I killed those old bags meaning like the older couples yeah and then he grabbed a piece of paper and started making tally marks and said, sir, this is how many people I've killed. So then he said he wanted to make a confession to his mother and his sister. And so they bring his mom and his sister in. And his mom's attitude was kind of like, oh, what has he done now? Like, she didn't really care that much. Kind of like he was getting in trouble all the time. Yeah. And he said, I killed a lot of people. That's why I'm here. And then his mother fainted and started foaming at the mouth. And she had to be taken to the hospital. Yeah. It's a lot of things happening. What? <laughs> okay, like, I understand the fainting. But then what causes you to start foaming at the mouth? I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so they were kind of like, well, your mom's in the hospital. Can you make a confession to us? And so... Um, he did, but they, confessions kind of mean nothing without evidence still, really. Mm-hmm. 
So they asked him, the investigators asked Yu Young Chul to verify his confession. And they took him in a car to show them what he did. And he was able to say each of the places he went to, but they would go to the general area where the crime was committed and say, find the house. Like, tell me the actual house it was. And he went to the house. He would like go to the wrong house and said one of the women was found face down when really she was found face up. So the details were like not matching. And they started to really doubt if he was the killer, if he was the right person. Um, But the officer in charge, who was uh, Kang Dae Wong, he was like, this is a test. This is a game. This is to let us get our guard down so we don't think it's him, you know? So he slapped Chul in the face and said, I'm the boss here. You can't beat me. These 120 detectives are here at my command. I can tell right away what kind of person you are. I know guys like you inside and out. I eat guys like you for breakfast. Oh, oh. my God. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, he's just being an arrogant kid. I mean, a young yeah. 20-something year old just like messing around. Yeah. <laughs> that would make me poop in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> I would be very scared. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, so they put him back in the interrogation room, had him confess again, and he had an epileptic, epileptic, this is a word I cannot say. I cannot say it. Epileptic. Yes. Seizure. And he started foaming at the mouth. So maybe him and his mom both had that and it ran in their family. What the heck? Yeah. So they uncuffed him because he was having a seizure. And when one detective left the room, Chul, like, he was recovered enough, followed him out without anyone realizing. And yeah, this is this is too much. So not only did they, like, stop paying attention to him, the, the murderer, the possible murderer. Yeah. Um, they also stopped paying attention to the guy that just had a seizure. Mm-hmm. And plus, when you have a seizure, like, you, like, it's called post-ictal. You're, like, in this, like, trance. You're, like, really out of it. Yeah. For a yeah. long time afterwards. So. Ooh. I don't know, man. Apparently, he was well enough to get up because the detective came back in the room and was like, um, where is he? Where's this criminal? And the guard was like, oh, I thought you wanted him to go with you and the detective was like no bitch and um sure enough he escaped he escaped the police and with like 120 detectives watching him or supposed to be watching him he just walked out with no shoes on and yeah so i guess that's where i will stop it for for right now because there's more Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now it's, now it's time for round two, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, There's just, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things going on with this case. It's seriously, and it's like such a, it's such a huge case there. Like, I think it's like one of their most, if not the most famous, Mm -hmm. um, 
like serial murders and I've never even heard of it before this documentary came out on Netflix. I know as far as I know, I mean, you kind of already talked about the crime rates being solved, but as far as I know, Korea does not have a lot of crime. No. Um, South Korea does not yeah. have a lot of crime. So I, but then again, I don't know if that's necessarily a hundred percent true. I just. Well, that's what the officer, the officers were saying in the documentary like it was really unprecedented because something like that doesn't really happen hadn't really happened in their country and not that there isn't a lot of crime because there's like a lot of crime but like these violent major crimes are kind of rare yeah Yeah, that's what I kind of mean I mean I'm sure there's crime anywhere but right violent crime and then along with um I mean clearly I guess prostitution was pretty high at that time and yeah that's nuts though yeah I mean I feel like in every single case there's some big thing where and I mean everyone's human you know people make mistakes but like or the cops just completely mess up yes yeah like Um, it's it's insane I just like can you oh my god how are there not like a ton of people on him it's the biggest case in your country like Oh my god. Everyone's gosh. eyes. Like I am such a people watcher. I would just be staring at him the whole time. Like even yeah. if I had a conversation, my eyes would be on him. Like mm-hmm. and like I I'm not like he just kind of walks out. Yeah. And I'm not like trying to be like, oh, these cops suck at their job. Because I, I really don't I think they are really good, but also the documentary really focuses on and like just for the sake of time i'm like cutting down a lot of things they say so really watch it it's called the raincoat killer on netflix but i mean um don't watch it before next week when we give you part two though because then you'll know (laughs) or do but still come back but anyway they really focus on the detectives and like the forensic officers and stuff and like there's um so i really feel for them because they were working really hard truly um well it sounded like they were yeah I mean they were really going uh, they were really trying hard to uh, work all together on it and as soon as someone was pulled in everyone showed up yeah so it's not like Um, they didn't care exactly um so yeah it was it's gonna be still crazy and Yeah. yeah All right. Well, um, tune in next week to hear the rest about the rain. I almost said reindeer. Raincoat killer. (laughs) Yeah. My mom got ran over by a reindeer. Um, Anyway. (laughs) I'm Casey. I'm Emily. And you just heard a sprinkle of sugar, a dash of murder. (laughs)